If you had a book, there was a sentence in the every single book that they read that says there is no God. How many times do they have to see that before it takes root? You know, you might bypass it the first time, but if every time you see it over and over and over and then you see it in the movies and you hear it at school and this and that, how many times does that take? before your child's worldview is different. Hey everybody, welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind the scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we're creating movies about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective. I'm Amber Archer, co-host of this show, and joining me is my husband, Mark Archer. Uh, Your husband is, yeah. Uh, well, thank you guys for joining us every Tuesday or whenever you listen. Joining us, you are. Oh my word! So he loves Star Wars. If you <laughs> can't figure out, figure that out. Um, but anyway, so I love Jurassic Park too, but I'm severely disappointed in the new movie. Oh well, that happens. We'll have to go watch Top Gun He's to make up for it. If you have not seen the new Jurassic World, don't bother. <laughs> It's really not very good. It was a little awkward. Seriously disappointed. Yeah. So anyway, back Uh to the show. So what kind of fun things are we talking about today? Does it sound echoey in here? A little bit. Because we got to... Can I tell the story? Oh, yeah. So we were traveling. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, working on Dysphoria, Mm -hmm. the new film. We were traveling and came home. And um, the next morning... Walked into my office and found wet spots on the floor, on the carpet. Uh-huh. And fortunately, we had already planned to have new flooring put in. Right. The flooring guy was coming on Wednesday, and this is, this is Sunday, Sunday morning. morning. And so my beautiful bride goes and gets a... <laughs> box cutter. A box cutter and <laughs> cuts a square out of my carpet. Because that's me. I like to I like to tear things. Demo day is demo day is my favorite. Early. Well, it's your office. We'll cut the carpet up. <laughs> and lo and behold, the padding is soaked through. Everything is soaked, and I immediately went in. I'm like, um, I think we have a bigger problem we than have what an we issue think. Issue here. Well, come to find out, there was a leak in the ceiling above my office, uh-huh. trickling down the water pipes and coming in on the baseboards and. Yeah, it was soaking so the carpet from the bottom up. So we have we have hardwood floors in now, which is nice, but we don't have it all done. So it's still a little bit warehouse ish. <laughs> so it's a little echoey. Sorry if that uh, if, if you notice if you notice. But anyway, thank it's you. Just you. Thank you, Grant, for helping us fix that. Yeah, our floor guy. And um, anyway, so we were traveling. Just got back over where we were traveling over 6,000 miles. We traveled. We were gone for two weeks, went out to the state of Washington, went Mm -hmm. went out to the West Coast. It was so exciting to um, help launch the mind polluters and also pick up an interview Mm -hmm. for dysphoria while we were out there. So Mm -hmm. it was very exciting. We'll launch the mind polluters at the Homeschool Resource Center. Right. With Heidi St. John. Mm Yeah. And so we'll leave links to this in the um, in the show notes. But. While we were there, Heidi asked us to be on her podcast again. So we this is actually the second time we've been on her podcast. Yeah. This time it was in person yeah. in her studio. And it turned into a two-parter. So, But it's us basically sharing our testimonies. Yeah. Our story of how we kind of our life stories and then how we started Fearless Features, doing Inwood Drive and the Mind Polluters, and then talking a little bit about dysphoria. Mm-hmm. 
the film that we're working on now. So, yeah. Yeah, so 6200 and some change miles gas was what was the highest price we saw 729 was the, 729 the a gallon yeah northern california so y'all can keep that there california yeah but it was really exciting because while we were in washington they were also um premiering it in new jersey yeah so that was really exciting and just to get the feedback from our our partners out there in New Jersey who showed it to a group of patriots and they loved it. And, you know, the response is, Amber, this is the sharpest sword we have in our arsenal mm-hmm. right now. So if if you're looking for something to really help educate people, the Mind Polluters is doing that all across the country. We're really excited for all that's happening. And and also while we were in um, Washington, the movie played four times at the Texas GOP State Convention. Oh, yes. And you guys have heard about that in the last two podcasts um, with Diana Richards and Mama Bears Rising. So that was really exciting. And just to see just to see the the reaction and people getting educated. So and we're excited to bring there's been so much talk about library books mm-hmm. and and parents waking up to the fact that there are some really obscene books in the school library and the public libraries. And so that's why today we're going to have uh, Debbie DeGroff, who's in the Mind Polluters. Mm-hmm. Actually, we're going to share her interview again so that people can really get a good understanding and hear from a researcher's perspective of what she's seen over the decades of reading children's books. Right. So Debbie DeGroff has spent, I don't know, 30, 40 years mm-hmm. researching children's books. She's written an excellent book that you should look up. It's called Between the Covers. We'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll leave a link to how you can purchase that book. Highly recommend it. She especially talks in her book about um, the Accelerated Reader Mm -hmm. program and how a lot of these obscene and pornographic books have just been lumped in with the AR program. And um, there's really no filters yeah. On these things. So. Well, and, and what's so fascinating is you have all of the parents pushing back against these obscene books in the libraries. And yet I've got an article here from LifeSite. Uh, the headline is top U.S. library group joins forces with publishers to keep explicit pro LGBT books in schools. Mm-hmm. So uh, a group of teachers unions, librarians and book publishers have formed a coalition of more than two dozen organizations that oppose banning sexually explicit and pro LGBTQ books in schools. People people say we're crazy and no, you don't really have those in your schools. Right. Uh, No, they're really there. And and people are beginning to find out how those books got there. Mm-hmm. And actually, we've had multiple locations across the country, uh, people, parents who are going in and challenging the, the schools and even administrators and, you know, librarians are looking at this and going, OK, how do these books get here? Because a lot of times they've been in there for decades yep. and nobody really knows because so many times the librarians change, you know, they're they're you get new people in all right. the time. And so they're really looking at how library books are coming in through the process and really starting to filter. Which makes a a good point of why it's so important to be uh, just to not go in with with both barrels blazing when you start researching these things, because, you know, there was an example near us 
where some of these books were found in the school library and the school librarian had no idea. Right. And the school librarian that is, you know, currently running the school library did not have anything to do with those books getting there. So to go in and start demanding, you know, their heads on platters is not helpful. You, I no. mean, you put them in a defensive spot immediately and truly in a lot of cases, it is not their fault. Mm -hmm. These things were put there a long time before a lot of these people got in there. There's thousands of books in there. So it's not like they have time to come in and, you know, go through every book that's in there. Yeah. Right. They have they have a lot of things to do. So uh, you just got to be very um, methodical and gracious and, uh, you know, go to them and say, I found this book. It's concerning. Let mm -hmm. me show you what's in it. And don't immediately take to social media and start calling them out. <laughs> right. Go to them first and then, you know, go through the proper channels. That's that's the right way to go about this. And unfortunately, there have been uh, many cases in which the school just refuses. And right. and so so let them get to that point where yeah. they refuse. Then you can set it ablaze. Right. Yeah. <laughs> then you can go for, you know, scorched earth if you need to. But but don't start that way. Yeah. So. So if you, if you need more information, you can always, you know, the Mind Polluters is a great resource and tool for you to use to help educate not only yourself, but your community. You can uh, visit our filmmaking website, fearlessfeatures.org. And there are DVDs now available that you can purchase if you want to do a screening for your church or your, uh, you know, grassroots group, uh, public screenings. We have options for you to do that. There is also a full Spanish version of the Mind Polluters now, Los Contaminadores Mentes, uh -huh. <laughs> that, uh, as we're recording this, has just been completed mm -hmm. and will be available. For now, it's only going to be available on streaming. Right. But, uh, you know, if the demand is there, we will make hard copies of that available on DVD as well. Yeah, most certainly. All right, without further ado, let's get to Debbie DeGroff and let her talk more about the library books and the research that she's done over the past decades. Well, my name is Debbie DeGroff and I'm a wife, a mommy and a grandmother. And when our oldest son first began to read, I would take him to the library. And as he, as he was choosing books, I would take home just about all of the new books with the shiny covers because they were on a special shelf. And juvenile books take about 15 or 20 minutes to read normally. And as I started reading these, I noticed something that was so different from what I was used to because I had been a voracious reader. You know, I read and read and read and read, and these were just different, which made me start asking questions. So I read more and more and more. And that's how I ended up at this point. So tell us what this point is. What is it that you have found? How long have you been researching? Well, I say over 30 years, but the problem is I learned how to read when I was seven and I read everything then. And I was in my 20s when I started this. So actually, there's very few years that I wasn't reading children's books. Mm -hmm. And I like to say that I don't do book reports. It's the patterns that I have noticed over the years. And when you read some books, sometimes you see things that you kind of flag in your mind, but you don't think much about it. 
until you've read 10 more books and saw the same thing. And then you realize, okay, there's a pattern forming. And that's what I look for, the threads, the patterns, and why they're there and how it happened. So what patterns are you seeing that parents, every parent should be concerned about? Well, whatever, whatever new vice really could, could sum it up. Um, if you have the transgender movement or if you had the LGBT movement, if you had um, sexuality in books to begin with, whatever, you start seeing these patterns that are coming in in all of the books from all of the major publishing companies. You know, it's not an isolated one. It's all coming in at the same time during the same years. And so you start wondering how that's happening. And it's my personal belief from doing this for a long time that the books have the changes in them that they're wanting to develop in society before you even see it in the movies and, you know, other forms of media. Can you give people an example of the types of patterns that you're talking about? Um, okay. Well, in 1969, you had the first homosexual protagonist in a children's book. And it, in one of the books that I have read from one of the editor, that one of the editors uh, had all their love, their letters published. And so they have all the correspondence between that author and everything that they had to do to get that book published. And it was interesting because that editor was a lesbian. The author was a homosexual and they knew that it was going to be hard to get past librarians and parents. So they talked about their plan of how they were going to get it endorsed to get it through the gatekeepers. Okay. So after that started, then you start seeing that opening up in all of the other children's books. It's always that first one, you know, with the transgender movement or whatever, um, donor offspring children. And I do deal with that in my, in my book. Um, you know, you have librarians will have whole lists of books that deal with every particular type of child, okay? And so they will be able to say, okay, if you're looking for that, we have this over here and this one and this one and this one. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of how it works. So that's what I mean by patterns. You said the lesbian editor and the homosexual author. Mm -hmm. So how were they able to go around the quote unquote gatekeepers? Well, the, the, the author, had suggested Mary Calderon, actually, you know, with, with Seek as Planned Parenthood, okay, to do the endorsement. But the editor decided on a different doctor. I believe they might have been a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I can't remember right now. But they sent them kind of a summary of the book. And that person, I don't know if they read the whole book or just the summary, but then they wrote a plug. So you have that endorsement on the back that always makes something look, you know, respectable. Mm -hmm. And uh, you did have librarians back then who did challenge that. But you had others, of course, who who let those things in and, you know, and you see how that's mm -hmm. developed since then. How many 
books have you come across that you've seen the SECUS or Planned Parenthood endorse? Well, I don't actually. I'm dealing with with fiction all the way up from preschool up through young adult. So I don't think typically on the fiction you're going to see an endorsement in the back of the book. However, you will see Planned Parenthood pushed. I don't normally see Seekus in itself, but you'll see Planned Parenthood pushed. Uh, one such book from the 70s actually details what your child would have to do if they wanted to contact Planned Parenthood, how the whole conversation would go when you call in, what would happen when you go with your visit, and what options they're going to give you as far as birth control. Tell me what you feel the most important thing that people really need to know. Well, number one, um, I think because we had all of those campaigns for so many years about how vital it is to read. Mm -hmm. Well, reading is very important. I agree with that. But somehow we made the leap that anything you read, you know, made you a rocket scientist. And so, uh, you know, and adding on to that, parents always looked at libraries as the books were safe and neutral. So you didn't question it. So it's just not a matter of public school kids. Homeschool kids actually probably, and, and private school kids probably read more than you know their public school counterparts. And so when you go in there and you turn your child loose, thinking that those books are safe and neutral, and they're bringing them home and they're picking up all of these different ideas. You know, I'd like to stop here and say this. What happens is when you're watching a movie or reading a book, you develop a relationship with the protagonist. And so even if you're watching a movie and that protagonist is a thief, by the time you get two thirds of the way through the movie, and they're ready to make the heist or whatever they're going to do, you're actually rooting for a criminal. And when most of us could sit here and say, okay, we, we think this is wrong, but somehow, even as adults, you get swept up in a movie. It's even more so in the children's books. So a lot of times you can take a child who knows the difference between right and wrong and uh, by the time they finish a book, it's so strategically done and it's such an emotional thing rather than a factual thing that you know that by the time you get to the end of the book, your whole worldview has changed, especially when you read many, many, many books that are taking you in that same direction. The question I have for parents, and you know, because I've done this for so long, I've heard all of the objections, you know, well, I don't have time to read the books, you know, my children are reading, or my child knows better. Well, if you had a book, and I'm just making this one up and throwing it in, and, and there was a sentence in the, every single book that they read that says, there is no God. How many times do they have to see that before it takes root. You know, you might bypass it the first time, but if every time you see it over and over and over, and then you see it in the movies and you hear it at school and this and that, okay, then how many times does that take before your child's worldview is different? Mm -hmm. The Bible says that we are to train up a child in the way he should go. And somehow 
in the society we're living in now, they're treating parents as, as if you are harming your child by training them in the way that they should go, that they know better. And we've got to take that back and say, no, these are my children. Okay. And sometimes they act like if you don't let your child read that book, you're sheltering them and, and you're trying to control their thoughts, let alone the thoughts of everybody else in the world. But look at the millions of books that are available. If I'm a parent and I know that this book over here, number one, it's a great book. It's been around for years and years and years. And they're going to have some value for it. Why would I waste my time reading this if there's a better book? When I was starting to write my book and I thought, how do I really get the message across how important it is to parents to be aware? And we have 14 grandchildren. And it just happened that I was looking up a sippy cup. If any of you are a parent or a grandparent, you know how many you have in your cabinet that leak. So as I was starting to order one, I was looking up the reviews and there was 156 questions about a sippy cup, one particular sippy cup. And according, you know, even, even one, could you steam it? Could you microwave it? And something about holding your wine in one. Okay. And, and I just stopped and I thought, 156 questions on a sippy cup and we ask nothing about what our children are reading, what they're watching, what they're hearing or what they're being taught. And so uh, my web designer created a little logo for me and I have a sippy cup on there and of course the books and there's also a shovel because sometimes you have to dig for the answers. You've got to ask questions but sometimes you have to look a little bit deeper to find out what you really need to know as a parent. Thank you guys for listening all the way through to the end. We appreciate you being here and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that at thefearlessfeatures.org forward slash podcast. And be sure to check out the Mind Polluters, themindpolluters.com. Have a wonderfully blessed day. We will talk to you again next Tuesday. Tuesday.